0: The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Hey friends, good morning. Uh, We're going to be reading from Leviticus chapter 10, all 20 verses. And if you're using the Bible in the pew in front of you, you'll find that on pages 82 and 83. Once you have that, if you would stand please for the reading of God's word. Chapter 10, now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said, among those who are near to me I will be sanctified, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uzziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said, And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, do not let the hair of your heads hang loose and do not tear your clothes lest you die and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled and do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting lest you die for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. And the Lord spoke to Aaron saying drink no wine or strong drink you or your sons with you when you go into the tent of meeting lest you die it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations you are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean and you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his surviving sons. Take the grain offering that is left of the Lord's food offering, and eat it unleavened beside the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place, because it is your due and your son's due from the Lord's food offering, for so I am commanded. But the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed, you shall eat in a clean place, you and your sons and your daughters with you. For they are given as your due and your sons due from the sacrifices of the peace offerings of the people of Israel. The thigh that is contributed and the breast that is waved, they shall bring with the food offerings of the fat pieces to wave for a wave offering before the Lord. And it shall be yours and your sons with you as a due forever, as the Lord has commanded. Now Moses diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering, and behold, it was burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the surviving sons of Aaron saying, "'Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary, since it is a thing most holy and has been given to you that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord?' Behold, its blood was not brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. You certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary as I commanded. And Aaron said to Moses, "'Behold, today, They have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, and yet such things as these have happened to me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? And when Moses heard that, he approved. Please be seated. I'd like to invite up John Kleinschmidt this morning. Um, Jonathan and family are on vacation. John is filling in this morning. I've known John coming up on our 20-year anniversary, so I don't know what you're going to buy me, but it better be good. Um, seriously, I've known him for 20 years, and um, I've not known many people for 20 years and, like, still friends with them. so it's been a great blessing to me. Um, I want to pray for you, John, and I look forward to what you have to say. Father, thank you for John, my friend. I pray that you would uh, speak through him this morning. You give him the words to preach. And Lord, I pray for ours that we'd receive your word and that it would be applied to our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
1: We'll test it out. Can you hear me now? All right. Hey, thank you, guys. Uh, good morning. As you said, my name is John. Uh, last name is Klein Schmidt. I'm one of the pastors here. It's blessing to be here in Leviticus 10 with you. Um, So and also Dan did a really good job saying those names Um, mm, don't expect the same from me Uh, there shall be some mess-ups there there was a text string yesterday that said thank the Lord that we're not saved due to pronunciation otherwise I would be way out of the game and anybody who knows me knows that's true Um, also today is a special day in our family uh, because it's my wife's 40th birthday yes that's right she said not to make a big deal of it, so I'm going to try to hold back my normal self right here. Um, we love you, babe, and happy birthday. so um, I came to Christ when I was 19 years old. Um, I came to Christ through uh, a friend, Steve Dame, who was a disciple of me and knew I didn't know Jesus. And when I came and became a Christian, um, so I'd went to church before that, but I wasn't a Christian. So when I came to Christ, um, I tried to presume as best I could. One of the things Steve said to me was, read your Bible, you're not going to understand it. Keep reading your Bible, it doesn't matter. So I did, and there's lots of stuff I didn't understand. Um, And on that journey of reading and discovering, I ran into things about God um, that was not what I was accustomed to according to American Christianity or my perception before I came to Christ. And on that journey, I had to decide, do I want God for God, or do I want God for who I want Him to be, or if He's like me? I don't think we're gonna struggle today to understand the text or the high-level point, if you will, but I think we might struggle to like it. The reality of it is, is God is not seeking a popularity context. He's not looking for us to affirm who he is, or add value to his decisions. He's communicating to us who he is, what he does, and that he's completely different than us. He's the Lord and there is none like him, the scriptures say. Will we worship him for him is the question we must always ask. I want to pray and then we get into the text. Um, Lord, I just ask right now that you would come, that you would speak to us, God, I just bind the enemy from this place, and I just invite you uh, to use a broken vessel to shine your light through. Um, Lord, we need you to teach and to encourage, correct, and rebuke. We need you to build up. We want you to define yourself for who you are and for us to love you for you. I pray that any extremes that come to our hearts through this sermon, that you would give us a measured and a tempered perspective and that we believe here changed in an awe and a reverence of you and confident that by your grace we can serve you. I ask that you would let me be clear, that you'd let me get value, that I would not cut short the text or undercut it, but that you would deliver your message to us through me for your glory. In your name, amen. Uh, The main point today is this. The Lord is holy, and those who serve him must treat him as holy and honor him above all else. So I'll say that again. The main point. The Lord is holy, and those who serve him must treat him as holy and honor him above all else. So we're going to start with verses 1 through 3. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the lord which he had not commanded and fire came out from before the lord and consumed them and they died before the lord then moses said to aaron this is what the lord has said among those who are near me i will be sanctified and before all the people i will be glorified and aaron held his peace or he was silent so if you just read this text and heard it the first time we walked in today um, you might uh, want to go back and read it later because there's not a lot to process here. But the first point that we're going to go into is this, that God is holy, that God is holy. So chapter 9, uh, to give you a context of what's going on, it, it describes where God tells the people through Aaron and Moses that if you obey my decrees and that you give the sacrifices in accordance to my commands, you will see my glory and I will be among you and present with you. And God shows this through a consuming fire that comes down from heaven, heaven and consumes the sacrifice. It's just like when we accept something that we're eating and it comes in, in this we partake of it. Here God sends a fire to consume it, showing that he is pleased with what has occurred. And he's accepted it. And in that moment, the people fall down in fear because the Lord had appeared among them. So I don't want us to miss this, like, the Holy God. So I don't even, I I don't have enough words to try to describe this, but a transcendent being outside of time, the creator of all things, the one who knows all things, the one who's sovereign over all things, manifests himself among a people in a tangible way. That's amazing. That's a miracle. That's phenomenal and to them they fell in worship appropriately so because the god who's outside of time manifested himself within time through a consuming fire and in this the two oldest sons of Aaron, following this at the same day so flowing from chapter 9 to chapter 10 it's all the same day it's a continual thought right after this it says that they went in to offer their own sacrifice of worship they did it on their own terms, thinking that they will see God's glory again. They do see God's glory, but they don't see the glory as an acceptable sacrifice. They see the glory of God's holy judgment. So why were they killed? Why were they killed? Was it just an innocent mistake? Were they just doing their best and in ignorance they misinterpreted God's commands? Were they trying to honor God as best they could in their heart and they missed the mark? Verse 3 gives us some insight. So if you look at verse 3, this is what God said to Moses, who then says to Aaron. It's in the middle of verse 3, and it says this. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and for all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. The explanation given here that Aaron accepts is that those who are near me, the priests, they are to set me apart as holy, sanctified. Like in their hearts, I am to be paramount the primary and when they do that the people will see god's glory and he's saying that your two sons did not set me apart in their hearts they did not obey what i have said and in turn they violated my commands and they have been killed the idea of holiness is completely separate other that god is not like anything else that has been created He's to be completely treated in ways that are not the same as you or I. He's to have more reverence, more awe, more amazement. When he says something, he means it. He sees a full view, and he has intention behind his words. He doesn't make ignorant statements like I can. He knows what he's doing, and those who serve and are near him are to set him apart. And God is saying that here, they weren't treating them as holy. They didn't set them apart in their hearts. So the Bible gives here unauthorized fire, which, I mean, I was talking to some people this week, talking to the text, and they're like, you know, on the surface level, they're like, geesh, is this an overkill here? What happened? Unauthorized fire, what are we doing? Um, Why is he responding in this way? And the Bible gives some additional context that there was actually three things that they were unauthorized to do that they did um one that they were in an unauthorized place and they were the unauthorized person and they offered unauthorized fire only aaron their dad was the high priest he was to offer incense to the lord as the high priest only according to exodus 30. and there were strict warnings in exodus 30 that they were not to give unauthorized fire you had to give coals from the altar that was before the lord and they took these coals from somewhere else in the incense so not only were they the unauthorized person unauthorized fire but we see in leviticus 16 that they were in an unauthorized place they decided that they would go to the holy of holies and be right in the presence of god they made the decision we were going in the brothers Had disobeyed God's commands and they sinned and they saw the activities of the day and they didn't revere the Lord in their hearts. Rather, they decided that they had their own means of acceptable worship and service apart from God's decrees. And they disobeyed God. And it was a big deal. They decided they were worthy to take Aaron's place and to be in the presence of God, and they were killed. And they were killed. See, we don't come to God on our own terms. We come to him on his. Aaron's sons decided that they knew what was best, and in arrogance and in reverence of heart, they decided to skip over God's commands and decrees and take the place of their dad and do what they know they ought not to be done. They thought they'd see one glory, and they got the glory of judgment instead. And it's honestly an echo of Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 talks about that when Jesus returns that um everybody every everybody is going to bow the knee and confess lord to the glory of god the father so that's going to be believer and unbeliever alike there's going to be glory given to god and to christ there's going to be two different destinations in the end now some of you are likely thinking why death so if you know your bible you could you could find here um uh, king uzziah in chronicles 22 Uh, he ran in to offer incense out of pride and arrogance, and 80 priests chase after him saying, no, 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 no. And he continues to try to do it, and he gets leprosy. Or maybe you're thinking, hey, couldn't we do something else? Like, what about Aaron, right? He forms the calf. He did all these other things um, that were sinful, and now he's the head of the priest? Or Moses, hey, he murdered somebody or killed somebody as the Roman, not Romans, messed that one up, Um, for the Egyptians And then he basically argues with God when he's talking to him in Exodus 3 and 4. And now he becomes the prophet. And these guys get death for bad worship? Really? So the question in itself isn't bad on its surface. I would always encourage you, when you read your Bible, you ask questions. God's not scared of questions. But we also have to be careful of our hearts. Because sometimes our questions expose more about us than about God. If we aren't careful, it's going to expose that we really don't think our sin is that bad or we really don't think that God is that holy or we think that we know better in a proper judgment than God does. And that's dangerous ground. God has sovereign freedom to have mercy on whom he chooses to have mercy. We don't get to judge his ways as if we know better and undercut his holiness or our sinfulness. If we ask this with the wrong heart, we're exposing it. Maybe we don't really believe Psalm 5 and 4, uh, chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, excuse me. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Or Romans six twenty three, when it says the wages of sin is death. Or Ephesians 2, 1 and 3, talking about us and our humanity. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. For on the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work and the sons of disobedient, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Or we don't believe uh, Romans 5, and it talks about the reality that we are God's enemies, apart from Christ. God has already said that no one can enter his presence. He said that no one can see his face in Exodus. He even gives a warning to the people, um, to, to basically Moses and Aaron saying, don't let the people break through here lest they will die. Don't let the Leviticus, the Levitical people break through here lest they will die. They cannot be in my presence apart from the means by which I give for it to occur. God is holy, completely other, and he's not to be trifled with. And his killing of the two oldest sons doesn't expose an error in God's judgment. It exposes an error in their judgment. He was just being faithful to what he'd already said would happen. And we have to be careful when we come to a text like this, or when we read things in the Bible we don't like, but we must be careful that we do not go to God with a judgmental heart versus asking him to help us understand so think about it with this, right? They were judged because they did not obey God's words and commands and did not revere Him in their heart. We must not read the scriptures and in our hearts disobey his commands, judge his commands, not heed his warnings or take them seriously because we don't like them. We are doing the same sin. It's dangerous ground that we must be on guard against, and it won't work. Um, So our kiddos um, are wonderful. I love them. They know how imperfect I am, and they love when I share examples of them. But one of them, I will not use names, um, had certain things taken away due to using words in an unloving way, right? So when we use words in an unloving way, we lose things that we love, in a sense, as a consequence, so sometimes some of our kids might come back and say, hey, I would like this back. And sometimes the answer is yes, and sometimes the answer is no. Um, sometimes when it's no, it can become unloving words again. Do, does that work out for them? What do you think? Yes or no? no. All the good yeah, parents, it should be a no, right? Like we all make mistakes. It should be no. No, it doesn't, right? Because they're having the same heart. We must not come to God with a judgmental heart of who he is without an open heart to say, we want you for who you are. Teach us who you are. Whether we like God's decision or not, (laughs) it's not our call. He is holy. He decides. So practically... Um, oh, and by the way, this is point one, but the others go much, much faster, okay? So nobody freak out. We're just spending a lot of time on this one. Um, practically, you need to know the context. So here in, night, uh, in, in chapter 10, it's transitioning all the way up through basically what comes in 19, where God is going to give in all these laws and decrees for the priest and the people. And God is going to say in chapter 19 that you are to be holy as I am holy. You are to obey my decrees lest you die or lest my name is profaned that you're going to make me look bad, that my glory will be undercut among the nations. And you're going to know that I am the Lord and that this transition right here practically is to be a warning, a warning to the priest that they must take God's word, word seriously, that they will be accountable and no position or family or role makes you not have consequences for your sin. There's nobody above that. There's no earthly person that just gets to be out of it. God sees and he cares. It's supposed to be a warning to the people. Hosea 4.9 says, like priests, like people, that people are going to follow and do what they see. So there are about to be all these commands of this is what it looks like to be the people of God. And if the priest can only partially obey, the people will only partially obey. They will model the behavior they're seeing. That's what makes somebody a leader. Leaders are not those who stand up front. Leaders are those who are modeling behaviors that others are modeling. That's the concept of even discipleship, helping lead others to more fully follow Jesus or know Jesus. But you come through modeling. It's also parenting. That's why the saying, do what I say, not what I do, is crazy and undercuts everything. It's a reminder that we must approach God on his terms not ours and the death is a reminder that sin matters if you keep reading your Bible Joshua chapter 7 God gives a decree to the people don't take from the destruction uh, these destroyed cities if you do judgment will come on the people don't do it they say we got it we won't one battle they do it Achan does it and then they go in the next battle and they sit there, and what happens? They lose. They come back saying, come on, man. What would you do? You want to, like, we're just so fickle as God's people. Come on. We're just so fickle. You know, He comes back and just like, hey, what's up with this? This is crazy. You might as well just kill this back there. And God's like, come on. The judgment on you is to expose that there's sin in your midst that you must deal with it. You must not just let it be. I'm only being faithful to what I said. Don't look at me. Look inside you and your congregation. So the first point that we must get is God is holy. He's completely other. We don't treat him as if he's one of us. He is to be revered. And if not, our actions, our sin, we are walking on dangerous ground. This takes us to verses 4 through 7. And this one's much easier. Just kidding. And Moses called, I wish Dan was here, Mishael and (laughs) Elzaphan, there we go, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them on their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, do not let the hair of your head Uh, heads hang loose and do not tear your clothes lest you die and wrath come upon all the congregation but let your brothers the whole house of israel bewail the burning of the lord has kindled and do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting lest you die for the anointed oil the lord is upon you and they did according to the word of moses Point number two is this, those who serve God must revere and prioritize him. Those who serve God must revere and prioritize him. So Moses commands the bodies to be removed by people of the Levi, connected family. And then he warns Aaron and his sons that you must not mourn publicly. You may not leave. You may not go out and see them. You may go nowhere near it. You are to stay here and serve the Lord for which you are the anointed one set apart for service. You must stay in this presence lest you may die or the people may have consequences as you as their leader. So this feels odd to us, does it not? Um, Yeah, death of two sons, uh, two brothers. And the response there is, hey, there can be no mourning by you who are closest to them. You don't get to show any sign of remorse. Rather, you're called to something greater and different. So there's different ways you can view this. But the first that I think would be helpful to even see um, is that in some sense, God, through this warning, is being gracious. He is being gracious. That's one of the things when Brady and I are talking about the text this week. That, In some sense, he didn't have to give a warning here. But instead, he comes and says, hey, through Moses, don't do this. It will go bad. Don't do this. He's being merciful to save their lives from another inappropriate action. In another way, it's also a test of allegiance. It's to expose the sin that they had was a reverence hearts that would disobey my commands and not do what I said. How are you going to respond in this moment? Are you going to follow their pattern or are you going to revere and prioritize what God says over what you see or want in that moment. See, the decrees of Moses and the decrees of God and the laws of Leviticus aren't just to be there unnecessarily harsh uh, for the priest or anyone else. The priest's role is to represent God to the people and the people to God. Their service to him is to be primary. So here, publicly mourning could look like or be the impression they disagree with God's judgment on the two oldest sons that they are mad at him, upset at him, and disagree. Being around a dead body would make them ceremonially unclean so they could not then serve within the, um, the tent of meeting or the temple, leaving the people without an intercessor when they needed it. So they could not leave. Even Leviticus 21 is going to give more decrees on how the priests were to be different because they're supposed to be set apart and completely other even more so than the set-apart and completely other Israel. Um, and honestly, all the details, we may not fully understand or comprehend. We may be like, I don't fully get that. They have certain rules around marrying. Certain people can be there. I mean, the rule of like, hey, if somebody has a crushed testicle they can't serve, I don't have all the context. I'm glad John's preaching that, <laughs> I hope. unless yeah, he's, That's going to be the week he's gone, right? I can see him already asking that one. But what we can say is that the Lord is good and his priests are to serve him first and obey his commands. See, God is sovereign and he works in a different realm than we do. Um, And would it be surprising then if we didn't understand maybe every detail or see all the context? So at work years ago, um, there was a conversation uh, and it went from aisle to aisle at work because we work in cubicles It's really cool. You guys know that. Now I work at home, so I don't have a cubicle. Um, But there's a conversation. The conversation went something like this. It started with a question of, would you let your 18-year-old, or or, would you let an 18-year-old boy date your 14 or 15-year-old daughter? And this literally went from row to row to row to row to row, right? And then it finally got to ours, and the question came to me, like, well, what do you think, John? Um, So basically, what I told them was that Sarah and I will not counsel our children, we will counsel them to not date until they're at an age of where they can be married and it's somebody who they think is worthy to be married as a lover of Jesus. Until then, we're gonna counsel them to not date. And they were like, say what? And I was like, yeah. I was like, so I I said, so here's the thing. We're not looking for them to have a bunch of baggage, sexual sin, hurts and other items they're gonna have to deal with in their future marriage or issues. We're not looking for them to be abused or an abuser. We're looking for them to be holy, and we're trying to guard their hearts, so our counsel will be that. And one of the guys was like, okay, or seriously? And I was like, yeah. And I asked him, I said, would you let the 18-year-old version of you date your daughter? And he's like, no way. I'm like, point made. But the reality was it seemed crazy to those people because we were functioning out of two different kingdoms and two different perspectives. So would it be crazy to think that maybe the transcendent God of the universe who knows all, sees all, does all, works all, that he may work in certain ways that maybe we don't fully comprehend? That maybe his details were like, well, I want to know everything. Like, maybe there's certain things we're going to come to and be like, we trust you and obey you even if we can't see the fullness of it just yet. In one sense... The Bible even says there's going to be times where we don't fully get what God's doing. Isaiah 58, 55, 8, and 9 says that there's, his ways are above our ways and his thoughts are above our thoughts. Romans 11 talks about the reality that there's no one who knows so much they can counsel God and be like, you're wrong. There may be times where God gives decrees of direction that we may not fully comprehend. But the right and good and for sovereign purposes and if you're a parent you do it all the time with your kids you tell them to do certain things they may not fully comprehend but you're trying to do it for their good and things they don't see yet so is this saying as new testament priests that you cannot mourn and be real about where you're at no it's not don't proof text this and like make a bumper sticker and make people feel bad um this is a specific place and a time for a specific ceremonial priesthood. But I think the principle would, would be this that Jesus even hit on, right? Matthew 10. If you love your father or mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. Or, or Luke 14. He who would not renounce all that he has cannot follow me. That we, if we say we love Jesus, are to be open-handed with our lives as best we can and prioritizing him because those who serve God must revere and prioritize him first and foremost now I add a caveat here of warning because I met a guy once who said Jesus says leave everything and follow me so he wanted to leave his wife his kids his job his house and go out and do stuff so the conversation went something like this is the rest of the Bible true or is only red letters true? And he said, all of it's true. I was like, then we have a, you have a problem, right? It says, love your wife like Christ loves the church. It says, raise your children to the Lord. You're taking a text and overriding all other texts. You're abusing it. But at the same time, don't do the opposite, which is then you neglect, there's context. Those who serve God must revere and prioritize him even over family or life circumstances. Third point, and these will go quicker, um, is serving God is serious business. This is verses 8 through 11. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, and you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. So his, his call here is serving God is serious business. God speaks directly to Aaron, the only time in the book of Leviticus this occurs. And he's given direction on alcohol, that they are not to drink when they go into the tent of meeting, lest they die. Why? Well, it could be, because they can make a foolish judgment and not follow god's decrees you're in the tent of meeting treat me as holy don't come in here haphazardly thinking you're good i'm a holy god you come in with awe and reverence and you want to be thinking clearly the next reason he gives is three categories holy and common unclean and clean and they're going to teach the laws this is going to be the rest of basically the next eightish chapters but they're gonna to have to give direction on this and this prohibition to not drinking was not carte blanche it was meant to be that when you're at the tent you should not drink because it could impair your judgment and when you're serving the people you can make a bad decision that could cost you your life or others you must take serving me seriously It would be like going to a brain surgeon um, and going to them and saying, hey, when you go to do your procedure, you should not drink beforehand. Because it could cost you your life go to jail if you make a mistake. I assume I could ask Megan, doctors here, if that's really the law, but I assume so. Or you could cost somebody else their life. You must take it seriously to serve the Lord. And, and, And right here, it's just taken a larger scale. But we have to think about that in our lives. I'm going to say to us as parents, and this is to my, own, uh, my, my own thing, um, we should think about all that we do as followers of Jesus. Is this helping me serve the Lord or hindering me in this moment? Sometimes, truly, I think if I had my phone, I'd bring it up here. Well, I do have my phone, but I don't have my pocket, thank the Lord. Because apparently it's huge, and my pockets look ridiculous. Um, <laughs> not needed okay so the basically sometimes you can have a conversation with your kids and what we can be teaching them like we're there to serve the lord in that moment engage them where we're at and sometimes what we're teaching them is hold on this is what i did yesterday morning they're asking me i'm sending a prayer request (laughs) for a sermon give me a second okay i know we need to engage on something happening but i need to get my like even a good thing right but my option in that moment is on to serve the lord and engage in my kids Serving God is serious business, and we must take it seriously no matter what, small or big. And this leads to our last point. God is gracious. God is gracious. So this is going to be verses 12 through 20. We're not going to read it all, but we're going to see God is gracious, and we're going to see that he's gracious in two ways. Okay? Moses approaches them um, first about the meat. Um, Well, I went too far. Two ways. The first one is verses 12 through 15. This is where God is gracious in that he affirms that God is still going to use Aaron's family for his purposes. The judgment on one does not mean judgment for all. I'm still going to use you. I'm still going to provide for you. You're still to obey my commands. Just because they made a mistake doesn't mean that you are now judged in the same vein. Judgment on one does not mean judgment for all. And he's reaffirming, you are to obey and be my people and representatives. It'd be just like a, a, a church who could have some leader or lead pastor or something have a fall that doesn't negate if they're pursuing the Lord that God can still use the church for kingdom purposes, even if it's hard. So he's gracious that judgment on one does not mean judgment for all that one mistake by a family member does not have to rule them forever. They can be established. And that's true. I even, it just really hit me when I was preparing that some of you need to hear that too. One mistake from a family member doesn't have to dictate the rest of your life. Maybe you were sinned against. Maybe somebody left. Maybe somebody died. Maybe it's your own sin. But if you're here today, you should know that God is gracious and that through Jesus, he can still use and redeem don't let one thing become your God over the living God who offers power and help. So here he is gracious with this family saying, I'll still use you. The second means he's gracious is 16 through 20, where God shows his grace that heart attitude matters. And this is where Moses comes and he inquires about the goat meat. Say goat meat. Good news is, next fellowship, James roasting goat. She's not. So, so goat meat, so they have goat meat in here. Moses is there, and he is saying, what happened to it? What did we do? Where are we going? Why did it happen? And he's literally getting angry with the, uh, the youngest two sons of Aaron because he hears that they didn't eat the meat. Rather, they burn it up. And he is ticked because he's concerned that they're having the same irreverent heart that their older brothers did. And he's like, what are you doing? Have you not seen what happens here? And in the middle of that, Aaron speaks. This is 19 through 20. And Aaron said to Moses, so he interrupts them. And Aaron said to Moses, Behold, today they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, and yet such things as these have happened to me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? And when Moses heard that, he approved. When Moses heard that, he approved. So basically... (laughs) Aaron is like, man, we've done all that we thought was right today. We sought to give what we knew we should give today. And at the end, was it right for me to eat of the celebratory food that is supposed to be one of the most pinnacle celebrations in the midst of my two sons just died? Was that actually right? Would God have actually been like, yay for that? Is that correct? His question, in some sense, seems like he's really looking for, like, this is my heart. What? Am I wrong? His question seems legit legit. And the reality is that commentators, I read a bunch of stuff on this, everybody's all over the map. So we're not going to cover all of the different theories. You know, some would say that Aaron felt like he was Im- implicated in the sin of his sons, so didn't feel like it was worthy. Others would say that he was mourning internally and was sad internally, though not publicly, and felt like he'd be a hypocrite to partake in this. If they did it, it would be wrong. Others say he was just truly, fully overwhelmed and feared God, and making more mistakes, even when they thought they knew what they was right. So with that, he said, I, God's so holy, I just can't. I don't know what to do. I just, I got to back off on this one." And the long and short is we see God was not being, as we see that Aaron was not being irreverent to the Lord in his actions as his eldest two sons were. He wasn't seeking to take the holy things for granted, but he deemed that whatever the situation is and whatever was happening, he deemed that this was so holy, he felt unworthy to partake out of reverence for God, not in rebellion against him. And from what we can see, it was acceptable because Aaron didn't die from what we can see and Moses approved of his explanation. So here's here's the graciousness of God is heart motives matter. So this is what it says in Hebrews 4. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joint and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That God looks not only to what we are doing, but to our hearts. That's scary and good. It's scary and good. In the end, God is gracious, having mercy, and view in the heart. So now as we come to the end of a text like this, we may ask, why is this here? What is God trying to communicate to us? Uh, I already said the main point. The Lord is holy and those who serve Him must treat Him as holy and honor Him above all else. Um, honestly, I think that this text is here is because God is trying to wake us up to the fact that He's holy. Like Delta Church, that He's holy it's easy for a sermon like this do you go in you look at the text to try to find ways to massage or be like thank goodness that's not true anymore and make it and flip it around and undercut the weight that he is trying to say i'm holy and you are to serve and those who serve me must treat me as such It's screaming out to us that God is beyond us and we as his people should take him seriously. We should not trifle with God and believe when we sin that we're getting away with it. Galatians 6 says that he won't be mocked, that when we're walking in sin, he's not going to be mocked. Things will come from that. We need to know it. And sometimes we just play around with God. We just act like it's okay. We can do partial obedience. It'll be just fine. I can do this part, but not this part. And he's screaming out, I'm holy. Treat me as such. I knew a person once who said, like, I love Jesus and I hate the God the Father. The reality is they're not different. The book of Jude says that Jesus was there judging in the Old Testament. He is holy as well. The New Testament shows in Acts chapter 5, there was a couple who sold, uh, sold a land and then s- lied about it, saying that we gave it all. In reality, they didn't. They kept some back, which would have been fine, but they lied before the people, and God struck them down dead. And fear broke across the early church. God is holy. 1 Corinthians 11 talks about people taking communion with an inappropriate heart making it about them, and that some of them had fallen asleep, died. Don't be deceived. Just because you're not getting a physical reality in this moment with your sin does not mean your sin's okay. It's not. 1 Timothy 5 says that sin will show up for some people before others it's going to come after, but it shows up on us all. The text is screaming out, if you love Jesus, if you love and want to serve God, you've got to take his word seriously. And to be honest with you, this is overwhelming. If this is the same God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, this is overwhelming because I'm a broken, sinful man making mistakes all the time. I do things wrong. We make it too complicated. We become selfish, self-centered, arrogant, partial obedience. And it is a big deal. And it's to break our hearts and point us outside of us. And I don't want to undercut that reality of this text to make you feel good and be like, well, at least that's not how God is anymore. God has not changed in regards to his view of sin. But this text points outside of itself to the big picture of who God is in the gospel that there is no human hero in this text. There ain't nobody wearing the white hat in this text saying, I'm the hero, let's do this. No human. The Bible would say that all of us are Aaron's oldest sons. Everyone in here, you're Aaron's oldest son, just like me. We're arrogant, we're prideful. We hear of one thing, we do another. We don't do the goods we know we should do. We change rules to meet our desires. We impact others, whether our family or ourselves. We do good one moment. We do bad the next. And even we can't even control our words, according to James 3. And all of this points forward to Jesus. He's the great high priest who's leading his followers, the holy priesthood of the New Testament, into the presence of the Father for redemption and help. Hebrews 4 says it this way. We're continuing on. Verse 13. 13. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect, has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So here's our actions in in relation to Jesus, if you love him. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we we may receive mercy and grace and help in a time of need. Because of Jesus, if we love Jesus, if we're in Jesus, now we run to him, not from him. The holy of holies is open, but it's not because of us, it's because of him. All the work of Christ, the Bible says, for the New Testament priesthood, because of His work, we can run to the Father because of Christ's merit. And our right standing is because of Him, not our own, because He's the better priest from the better lineage for us. 1 Corinthians 1.30 and 31 says this, and because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written, let, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Jesus is our redemption. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is who we run to. He is, he is holy and good and just, and we must not undercut that. But he is also merciful and gracious. We must run to him, not from him or from his holiness. There's grace for growth, but the grace for growth never becomes an excuse to minimize God's word or sin. If you're justifying sin, there's grace, but you must not keep doing so. I'm gonna leave you with two questions. One, lover of Jesus, where in your life are you not taking God's word seriously? Where in your life are you not taking God's word seriously? God already knows, as Hebrews 4 says, and how are you going to repent, involve others, and run to Christ for help? God's holiness is not there to make us fear obedience. God's goal is not that you sit there and be perfect in everything. It's that you pursue him in everything. My, my kids could sit on the couch today and say, we're not moving because we're scared of making a mistake but that would not please me as their father. I would ask that the best they could to obey and that trust that their right heart motives would expose because they would be open to confessing, they'd open to asking for help because God's looking to walk with us, not just tell us, don't walk. Jesus took the pressure of having to be perfect. First John 4 says this, by this is love perfect within us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because he is so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. God loves you if you are in Christ. Jesus takes the penalty. Run to him for the help you need not from him. The second question, <laughs> what is your hope of salvation? And this is gonna be for those of you who don't know Christ or even those who may be like me up to 19 who say I know him, but can't define it. What's your hope of salvation? If it's you, your works or being good enough, you will see God's glory in the end but it will not be the glory of salvation, it will be the glory of judgment. And I implore you today to go to Jesus The way to God is through Jesus. He's the means into the holy of holies. Acts 4 says, The Lord, that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Humble yourself. Crowds to God. Ask Jesus to take your sins, to make a way for you to the Father. Embrace him through faith. And let him change you. (laughs) Friends, the Lord is holy, and those who serve him must treat him as holy and honor him above all else. Run to him in this endeavor. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for today. Um, God, I just pray, would you help us see you clearly? We're all over the map. Some of us are going to hear part of this and be fearful of spinning out and only listening to part of your word and not seeing the redemptive forgiveness part. Some of us are going to focus on the redemptive forgiveness part and be like, I don't really need to listen to what God says as it relates to my family or sexuality or obedience or holiness. God, I pray that you would guard us from the errors on both sides. I pray that we would not spin out, that we would not make this about us, that we could see you for who you are in your holiness and goodness and also see that you're the God who is merciful and gracious. You're both these things. Forgive us for making you something you're not. And help us. Help us give ourselves to you in your name. Amen.